Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yardena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Shabbat, daf Samach Gimel, 63. Today's daf is lovely. It is rich, it is robust, it is meaty, whatever metaphor you'd like here. We found this daf to have so much to talk about, but not a lot of, it's not about just different topics. It's that each one of them is a whole discussion into itself. We're going to do the best we can here. I want to just begin with the fact that at the very top of the page, it says as follows. Rechava said that Rabbi Yehuda said that the logs of Yerushalayim, the branches of Yerushalayim, were from a cinnamon tree. And when, you would, when they would burn them, right, for fuel, the smell of that cinnamon would waft through the whole of the land of Israel. And then, at the time that the, the Jerusalem was destroyed, those same branches or logs were buried. They were hidden away. And there was just a tiny, tiny little bit left. And it's now like located in some hidden treasury of this queen, whatever. So this is the this is the lovely imagery with which we begin. I kind of can imagine this wafting cinnamon smell throughout the land of Israel and and how it would indeed you know color the experience of those who dwell here, um, as I do, although without that smell of cinnamon unless it comes from my kitchen. Okay, the Mishnah. Then the the next thing that happened on the daf is a Mishnah, which again leads itself into a rich discussion. Here we go. Lo ish lo 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 Okay, so now here we are talking about, again, this is a fascinating thing. Now we're talking about men and what they cannot go out with. And I think that somebody, you know, Rabbi Huda Nasi, I guess, in crafting the Mishnah, paid very careful attention, right? There's this fairness almost, right? What women can't wear, what men can't wear, what women can't wear, what men can't wear, which I, I don't know really if it was thought of in that parody kind of way, not parody, but parody, like equalness, whatever. Um but I, but I was struck by it. Now, these are all, in fact, weapons, right? That a man cannot go out, not with a sword, not with a bow, not with a shield, not with an Allah, which needs further definition, and not with a spear. And if he does go out, then he's meaning this is real, serious, caring. These are weapons. There's no value to them other than the weaponry, right? No, wrong. Rabbi Lezer, Omer, Tachshitin, Hain, Lo. Rabbi Lezer says these items that are weapons are really ornaments. They're adornment for him, right? The, and then, theoretically, he should be able to wear them, right? Because they're ornaments. The rabbis say, no, no, that is a disparagement. That's a negative statement to, to, to say that weapons are an adornment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a very, very, very famous verse, song, everything, right? That they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And a nation will not raise a sword against another nation. And neither will they learn war anymore. I said to your Dana, as we were preparing, I said, really, we should change the song from Mahavti Torah at the beginning of our podcast to Lo Yisagoyel Goycherev, because that's how prominent this verse is, right? Everybody... Listen, there's tons of tunes for it also, but it's a very it's a very prominent idea that there is a future 
for B'nai Israel. There is a future for the world that does not have war. And not only that, that the items of war, the utensils of war, the tools of war will be beaten into tools of peace. So this idea then is the idea of saying that a sword, for example, of amongst these, this list of items that a man can go out wearing a sword and it will be an ornament. Chachamim say, no, that's a negative that's a negative statement. That's not a compliment because really you want that sword to be reconverted, you know, into something uh, for agriculture, whatever, something that is not for war. Okay. And the, the Mishnah carries on here, but we're going to shift into the Gemara at this point, right? Um, as follows. It's again, discussion, discussing this exact key point. Right? How do we know that, I'm sorry, the Gemara is going to analyze the statement of Rebbe that these weapons are dormant. Tanya, Amru lo Right, so they said to Rebbe so you think they're ornaments, but then if they're if they're ornaments, then why are they going to be canceled, betelin? Why are they going to be nullified in the time of Mashiach? Amarlahen lefish enan shichin. He says because in that time he says. They will not be needed anymore. Right? If 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 no nation is going to bear a sword against another nation, you don't need your sword to begin with. And according to Rabbi Eliezer, then they're just going to be for adornment. They're just going to be for noy, for beauty in the world. Amar Abaye. Now Abaye answers him up, and he says, He says it's similar to the case of a candle in the afternoon. What does that mean? A candle in the afternoon, you, you don't need it. It's still bright light, right? So you light a candle, and isn't that beautiful? And according to Abaye, no, that's just silly, right? Meaning he doesn't say the word silly, right? But if there's no value to it, then there's also no ornamental purpose to it either, according to Abaye, whereas Rabbi Elias says, no, now it's being used in a, in a beautiful way. And the Gemara continues, this whole bright, that whole discussion goes against Shmuel. The Amar Shmuel Shmuel has it's a, again another very very famous statement that the only difference between Olam Hazed, this world, and Yemota Mashiach, the Messianic era, is the is the how do you call this the subjugation of the Jewish people right under some other um, other some other government. Right, so she boot galiyot bilvad that there won't be any galiyot, there won't be any exile, right? And and why? What's his proof for that? Shneemar ki lo yechdal avyon mikarav haaretz. There will still always be poor people in the land, which is rather a depressing thought. But the idea is that there is a the way this world continues, and the Rambam's phrase for this is olam kemin hagono heg. The the way the the world functions is going to continue just as it is. And this is a famous, famous dispute about, you know, what's going to happen in Yemot Mashiach, in the time of the Messiah. Is it going to be that the laws of nature change and that the world as we know it is completely upheavaled? Or is it going to be, you know, the laws of nature continue and the upheaval is very strictly um, politics and regime change, so to speak, in a way that is obviously to the benefit of everybody if there's peace. But it's, and, and that by itself in some ways is a completely different kind of, living, but it's not to say that the laws of nature have changed. And 
we're not going to answer this uh, dispute today because, you know, the only way we're going to is when we actually, please God, one day experience it when the Messiah comes. Until then, <coughs> the discussion continues. Yeah, I don't find it to be particularly depressing to think about it that way because I'm not sure humans could handle it any other way. So I actually think that's really, that opinion is really in a reflection of human nature. Um, you know, it makes me think back to B'nai Israel's behavior in the desert, right? That when they saw miracle after miracle after miracle, it almost made them in a way more rebellious, right? Because I think we're not actually set up to integrate, uh, mir- you know, miraculous living. That's really not what the natural world is supposed to be like. And so almost in a way, if that's what you most have a sheikh was going to be like, I'm not sure humans could actually do that. Um, that's a fascinating take here, Dana. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. Okay. I mean, that's, I think there's truth to what you say. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. Um, okay. I wanted, to move, I wanted to move on to another piece here of, of something that Rav Kahana says a little bit later on. So the Gemara is in the middle of a discussion uh, about a pasuk um, in Tehillim, Mem Hey Amadalit. And, you know, they try to figure out from Chagor Chabecha Al Yarech, Gibor Hadecha Vahadrecha, right? That it, that's proving to us that a sword can actually be considered um, uh, an ornament. And Rav Kahana basically says that later he goes to Mar, the son of Rav Huna, and, you know, argues with him whether or not this really is a proof. And Mar says to him, Amar right? That a verse always really never departs from its literal meaning. So since that verse is really talking about a sword and it's right, then in a way that it could be described as an ornament, we have to understand the pasuk that way. Yes, it could have a lot of homiletic interpretations, but again, the general principles, right? That a, a the Pshat is pshat. The literal meaning is the literal meaning. Um, and then Rav Kahana goes on and says, I'm a Rav Kahana. Kad havena bar tamane tsarishnin, bahavi gemira le luchule tamuda. So Rav Kahana says when he was 18 years old, he had learned already the entire Talmud. But he still did not learn. So presumably, you know, either he's 18 at the time he says this, or he's even older than that. And then he says, but until this point, he did not know that this, that a verse doesn't depart from its literal meaning. All right. My Kamash Malan, what is Rav Kahana coming to teach us here? That it's important for a person to first learn and then to try to understand what the rationale is. So I think what the Gemara is saying here is, is that Rav Kahana is making a criticism about himself that he didn't learn well. Yes, he may have mastered all of Talmud by the time he was 18, but he still didn't know how to read just a simple pasuk, reading it a simple way. Um, and this made me think back to the Gemara we had last, you know, the other week, which went through all of these cases in Tanakh where it appears, right, like David Amelech, the sons of Shmuel, Moshe and Aaron, that they may have sinned. And there's sort of this bending over backwards of trying to say like they didn't sin. Now, that's a separate discussion about why do we want to say that they didn't do a sin? But I think on a certain level, it does explain the approach because the approach is sort of in a way like doing a very close read of the psukim themselves. And the question is, could you really consider the read that they do with those psukim to be the pshat or is it completely not the pshat? 
Um, so I don't know. It just made me think of that. Kamara. I don't have a good answer of it. Like, is it in a way that they're reading a shot in that wouldn't exactly be obvious? And that's what they're trying to argue. Or is it that they're really giving a tremendous homiletic interpretation? More importantly, what Rav Kahana is stating here is essentially is, is that always go, you know, it's always like, always go back to the shot. Just never forget that the shot is there and shot exists and that the shot is always important and that that's something to always think about. And maybe a person like Rav Kahana, who's able to sort of master Talmud by the, the time he's 18, so obviously can do very complex thought, almost that simplistic, just being like, this is the text and this is literal meaning, may even be more, almost in a way is harder for that kind of person, right? Because they like, they're so used to uh, very complex thought. Um, I find the whole discussion here to be fascinating. Um, the idea, right, we talk all the time, do we take this literally, do we not take it literally? The fact that that was never a question before is is kind of, I don't know what, gobsmacking? Like, really? On the other hand, I want to say that it also dovetails nicely with the beginning that I was talking about in terms of, well, do we look at Yimut Mashiach also in this question of, like, is it going to be a little change or a figurative change? And if I want to make a theme for the daf, which I don't because there's just too much else that we're not talking about. But, you know, for our purposes, I, I think that that's part of the richness of the multi-layered meaning of, or, or the potential for multi-layers of meaning. Um, I know that's not exactly what you asked, but that's no, no, what no. I wanted I, to say. But I, I hear what you're saying. Um, so I have two other things on the daf here that I like, but you may have something else you want to interject here. Um, no, 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 go the ahead. The <laughs> piece I really liked was, then they get into a discussion of, different types of learning relationships. Now, I'm not going to read the whole Gemara, and I ask people to sort of go back, and I don't think we really have time to tease out what the four are, right? But there's who sharpen one another. Um, and I think there it's sort of like going like that back and forth of Chavrusa learning, right? Like you say this, and I'm going to challenge you. And there's something nice about that. There's something good about that. It's good for your learning followed by who are agreeable to each other, who, in other words, are able, yes, it's good to spar with each other and sharpen, but you also have to be able to, you know, be agreeable, to be able to hear uh, the other person's opinion. Then we have right, two who are able to listen to each other, right? So now what's the difference be between that um, and the previous one who could be agreeable, but listen. So I think sometimes just listening to a different opinion uh, can be very, very uh, complicated for people. And then the last one is, two Torah scholars who cause one another, Magilim, to make a mistake in halacha. Um, and it says still that Hashem blesses them. And in that one, they want to say, what is it, uh, who, what kind of case are you talking about? Because the first three cases seem to be like very clearly positive things. Um, and um, the, the, the Gemara here, um, you know, basically says that Rabbi says, that it's a case where they know the foundation of the law, right? So they know the basics, but they may not know something sophisticated and it's only true where they don't really have another rabbi to learn from. So in other words, I think it's sort of saying something like this isn't ideal, but we know, and particularly probably in the diaspora, this would happen, that people would end up in situations where like, it was just you and your chavrusa, but you didn't really have like a, 
uh, a rabbi to go to, right? Somebody who knew more than you. And so though, even though you may be making mistakes because the foundation is there, but the sophistication is not there and you don't have somebody to go to, to get sophistication from, right? You know, still the Gemara is saying that those who are mad gilim, even if they make mistakes, still Hashem, you know, Hashem is still going to bless them. And they bring a pasuk to say that. So I, I think this requires a little bit more um, in-depth discussion. I just wanted to point it out. But, you know, sort of these different types of learning partner relationships, which I think, you know, many of us, I hope many of us have experienced in our life and that, you know, we have different types of people that we can learn with. I, I'm proud to say, yes, indeed, you know, here we are. Um, I think also the recognition, like it's, it's a self-referential aspect of the Gemara, right? Where the Gemara talks about the way the learning is done, which is always, you know, interesting because we don't really know what kind of Chavruto were happening at that time. Right. Right. We know, we know that their names are recorded, but did they, and we know that sometimes they're recorded as if they're talking to each other, but they're from different generations. So that's not a chavruta, like not like this, right? So, so it's interesting. Um, and then I had one last thing, I and mean, we're still only on Amud Aleph. I'm not even sure we're going to get to anything on Amud Bet. Was this <laughs> thing of Amar Rabbi Abba Bar Rabbi Shimon Ben Lakish? Im Talmid Chacham No Kain Ben. Oh, sorry, no, I'm reading the wrong place. Amar Rabbi Abba, Amar Rabbi Shimon Ben Lakish. Gadol Halmava Yoter Mina Osed Staka Umetilva Kis Yoter Mikulan. So Rabbi Abba says in the name of Rabbi Shimon Lakish that somebody who loans somebody money is greater than somebody who gives them charity. And the one who puts money into the purse, in other words, into partnership with a needy person, that's the greatest of them all. Um, to me, you know, we always keep talking about we have like our Corona Torah here. So I, at least where I am, you know, in Riverdale, there has been a whole thing about supporting local businesses that a lot of local businesses are hurting. And, you know, we keep getting like every restaurant, no matter where they are in New Jersey, in the city, or it's like coming to do deliveries, the local Judaica store. And it's really been interesting to see that I think there is a group of people who are, even when things are like economically rough for a lot of people now, are sort of willing to spend a little bit more money than they normally would or on things that they normally wouldn't do, like, you know, eating out or things like that, you know, getting takeout, because it's like really helping somebody else. And you're sort of seeing, you know, just at least today that like we, you know, I feel at least in my day-to-day -day life that I'm really sort of witnessing, um, uh, you know, sort of a real tzedakah that's happening, right? Which is really sort of helping people's business instead of just giving a handout. In fact, I have one friend um, who, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but I'll tell her that I mentioned her <laughs> anonymously. Um, well, like my friend, Aliza, um, who has really helped one of the local bakery pizza stores here. And so much so that she keeps getting calls now from other restaurants who've heard what she did because she really helped this guy organize like, <laughs> weekly deliveries and it's also like we're doing it like mitzvah gorera mitzvah like it's it's not just about like ordering pizza it's like people will order pizza to have it delivered to the local emergency room so i think this is that's right so it's like so i just think this was like it was a lovely way to think about like what are the ways in which we spend our money um and that it doesn't have to be about like putting something in a tzedakah box or writing a check to go to somebody but really helping people with their businesses now and i think that's really a message that's really relevant today. I think, and I can speak for Jerusalem anyway, and Israel altogether, I think people are also kind of taking taking that measure and trying to help out local businesses. Now, local business in Israel might be the whole country, right? So for example, somebody organized that one of, 
I don't know what, a farm, I guess, that it produces asparagus and garlic and all kinds of herbs, right? Now, usually they distribute those and they send them to the, let's say, to the hotels or even abroad. And none of that is happening now, right? So somebody organized for them to come and, you know, sell at a reasonable price to everybody, like locally, whatever. And and they come, they came down from the Gilboa to Jerusalem and, you know, people, you like, it's to our advantage, but also I think everybody kind of feels good that they're helping support this, you know, this endeavor that otherwise they're going to lose, they're going to lose the food, the produce, but also they're going to lose the income. And then someone I know said as follows, they ordered in, they ordered takeout. And then they saw that they saw that somebody was like, not, not using, not paying attention to the regulations properly, right? Like touching, distancing, mask, I don't know what. And so they were really not pleased and they weren't going to touch the food, but they just disposed of it. Like they dumped it. They did not complain, right? They said they figure they're supporting local business. And the fact that somebody within the business was being a schlub, maybe that should have been like, you know, a request made or something. But I think it's too many, it was too many people. Like the delivery guy compared to the restaurant, it's a little bit, it gets a little bit complicated. And for all I know, they did make that call, but they didn't make it the call as a complaint. And I thought that that's also something that like people are kind of, recognizing that this is just a complicated, messy situation and let's do all we can to help each other. So with that, we'll conclude. We didn't even get to Ahmed back today. So <laughs> there was much more to say. Um, we can we can recommend right. it. You know, if you if you need some good reading, Ahmed Bet is, is a good place good. to go. Um, that's our zap for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the, uh, on the Hadron website. Uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought was the most interesting part of this staff on our Facebook page. And until tomorrow's staff, go and. Mm-hmm.